at this passage, James chapter 5, James 5, verses 19 and 20. You'll notice this is the end of the book of James. Some of you are probably excited by this point to, to get to the end. Uh, I know sometimes I can do some series that take a while. But uh, these two verses really kind of help us as we process James' message. Now, I love this book, and I know I can be accused of saying that quite often. And I think I've mentioned to you before that usually my favorite verse is the verse I'm studying at the moment. People will say, what are your favorite passages? Well, it's usually the passage I'm studying at the time because I've been all into Joseph lately, obviously, and to Nehemiah, and I love James. And I love James in particular because it tells us what real faith looks like. It tells us how we can live real faith in a real world. I mean, some of the subjects that James has approached are so practical for us. He's talked to us about wisdom, needing wisdom. He's talked to us about anger, how we could control our anger. He's talked to us about the use of our tongue, our speech. He's talked to us about what the future may look like. Hey, he's even spoken to us about how we deal with those who are sick and broken within the church. I was thinking of that yesterday. Last week, we looked at the previous verses, verses 13 through 18 of chapter 5. Of course, talking about calling for the elders and praying over those who are broken and weary. And yesterday, God allowed me to, to go out to NLMC and and go into the ICU rooms and, and to be able to pray to, over people. And uh, in particular yesterday with Pete Lawrence to be able to gather with his family and, and lay hands and, and pray for him. I, I thought to myself, how practical is this, mess, is this book? I mean, I'm living it out. And you should be living it out daily as we think about these practical applications to our lives. James is telling us that real faith, well it can have a place in, in the real world. So in the last two verses here, he is still practical, and he is summing up his message. Now, some people have called the book of James a homily or a sermon. In some ways it's like a letter, but in some ways it's not. I mean, here at the end, you don't have this idea of greetings given to different people or signing off in any way. It's rather an abrupt ending. He's like the preacher who just kind of stops. Or does he? Perhaps he has an intention here of drawing us to the practicality of the brotherhood, the, the sisterhood, the Christian life, and how we should be helping one another. Maybe what he's doing is summing this up. But he is bringing his message to a conclusion. It's not like Paul. Paul usually will say finally and then go on for another chapter or two, right? Right? You know what an optimist is, by the way. An optimist is, is the lady who puts her shoes back on when the preacher says finally. That's usually the case. She really believes he's going to wrap it up. But James, he's just got two verses here. He doesn't tell us he's about to end his message. He just gives it to us practically. So look in verse 19. He says, brethren, note again this is in context of the church. He is addressing believers. He is saying, my brothers, 
And you could say, yes, my sisters. Those who have followed Christ, those who are seeking Him, He says, to those of us in this place, in the community of faith, He said, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So he says, as I sign off, as I give you the ending of my message, what I want you to hear is that if anybody, if anybody among this congregation, if you see your brother or your sister departing from the truth, following a way that is destructive, there is responsibility for you to help them turn back to true faith, to take a decisive step back to God so that they can know what life is like and they can know what forgiveness is like. Verse 19 where it says, if any among you wonders. I, I, that, that word, I went and did a little work in the languages this week and that word wonders is the same word that we get our English term planet from. The idea of a planet, right? The planet wanders around. It wanders around the sun. And here he's like, if you're like this individual that is wandering away from the truth, you need somebody to come and speak to you and help you come back to the knowledge of God. Wonders from the truth. It is a decisive step. If you look at the original language there, it means that they made a decision to step away from the truth. Actually, the prepositional phrase is the idea that you have separated yourself from the truth and you did it intentionally. And unfortunately, we've had people in the church life, every church I've been a part of, that in some way decided intentionally to step away from what they had known, from the truth that they had grasped, and they walked away into their own areas of life. You've seen those individuals, unfortunately, who've just kind of rejected. I, I was, of course, college is beginning, and I was thinking about the stats that you continue to hear and you continue to see about our college students and how so many of them step away from the faith that they had been taught for, for years and years in the church life. I'm not sure sometimes we've prepared them appropriately, but certainly there are many of them who leave the truth during their college years. This, this, um, I guess it was this week I was listening to one of the radio stations where it said like roughly 9 out of 10 of college students who had grown up in the churches. These are not just, just college. These are the ones who grew up in our evangelical churches that nine out of ten basically step away from the church when they come to college. It's one of the reasons I am so grateful for the college ministry God gives us here at Temple Baptist Church. One of the reasons that we get to be able to continue to invest and thankfully... There are still college students who stay faithful to the truth. There are many that we see who stay faithful and serve. And we have a responsibility in this university town to reach out 
and to keep them included and involved in the truth. And you never know how God is just going to boomerang that experience and use it for a greater ministry. And who knows when you'll get to reconnect with them. I shared this in the gathering this morning, but and some of you may be aware of this, but there are a couple of folks uh, who have just moved back to Ruston that have been attending here about every other week because they're, they still have some ties in their previous location. They moved back here. You know why they came back to Ruston to kind of like retire? Because they were involved in Temple Tech. Because they were involved in the ministry here some 30 to 40 years ago. Casey had just started out as the college minister. Remember, we just started his and celebrated his anniversary last week or so. But they, they came back. You know, here we have an opportunity. But it's more than just college students. There are people we know that, that have been in the church and they held to firm doctrine, but perhaps in their belief or their practice, they departed. From the truth. And James says, if we see any individuals depart or separate themselves from the truth of God, we have a responsibility as the people of God to try to turn them back. Now, I know that seems strange for some people because the idea of intervening, helping them to be turned back, it is almost foreign to our churches today. Most would say, well, we're not supposed to condemn anybody. We're not supposed to judge anybody. And you're absolutely right. We should not judge and we should not condemn. James earlier said, like in chapter 4, he had spoken in verse 11 like, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to, be, to judge one another? So judging or condemning is wrong. James already said that. So what's he saying here in verse 19 and verse 20? I mean, he said not to judge, but now he says we're supposed to help them turn back. What well, judging, condemning, discerning, and helping people turn back, those are different things. But I'm not sure our church has quite gotten that. The, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying this universally. The church here in the United States. The church else. I'm not sure that we have understood that yes we are called to discern. But we're not called to condemn. We're not called to condemn. But we're called to discern. There is a difference. And it is something we need to certainly understand. Matthew chapter 7 for example. Jesus as he was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Judge not that you be not judged. I would suggest to you that that verse is more quoted today than John 3.16 in our culture. More people know that verse than they do John 3.16 now. Because you'll hear, oh, don't say anything. You, you can't say people have messed up. You can't say people have sinned. I mean, you can't say those kind of things because it says not to judge. Again, listen to the context of what Jesus said. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? In other words, you need to judge yourself. You need to see where you are falling short so that you can make the necessary corrections. My mama used to say, you need to clean out from your own doorstep before you start cleaning somebody else's. Any ever heard that? Or is that a Mississippiism? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is your own eye? He says, hypocrite, you need to remove the plank from your own. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So hear that, first five verses, what Jesus says there in chapter 7. Then listen in verse 6. This is the verse you never hear. Jesus speaking. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Whoa. That's in there? Jesus just said not to judge, and all of a sudden he says, but don't don't put your precious things, your holy things, before the dogs and the swine. Strong language. What was Jesus saying? Jesus said the same thing James would say. Do not condemn somebody. You and I, we do not have the right to condemn somebody. You and I are not the final arbiter. We are not the final judge. But we should have a discerning spirit about who we are. We should have discernment in what is right and what is wrong. The truth that we have defines what is right and what is wrong. And as we study it and discern, we should help people see the truth. And again, we need to take the responsibility to help people. Note in particular, James, as I said, is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. So there is the opportunity to help your brother and sister in Christ see what they're doing wrong as they are walking in darkness and help turn them to what is right, turn them toward the light. Now, yes, we have a responsibility to unbelievers. We share the gospel of Christ with them. Through the gospel, hopefully and prayerfully, they will be saved and they will come to repentance. But no, you and I cannot turn the unbeliever from his path unless the Holy Spirit and the gospel takes hold of their lives and their hearts. You and I cannot do that on our own. As a matter of fact, I would even say to you, that it's going to be hard for you to uh, turn an unbeliever back out of an issue until they first understand that they are in the need of a Savior and they need salvation in their life. They need Christ to make a change. And then you can talk to them about some of the other things that happen. But for us who are Christians, in the context of the church, that's what he's talking about. That's a different story. We're able, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit to talk to our brothers and sisters about what's going on and challenge them to turn back to Him. We have that responsibility to live in that type of encouraging and challenging relationship. Let me give you another passage. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. Did you hear what he said? If there is somebody else that is hurting, that is going through a difficult time in their life, and they have walked away, they've been overcome by sin again, it is our responsibility as the people of God to restore them with a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself also, lest you be tempted, he says. In other words, when I go to somebody and I talk to them about their sin, I don't go to them in a condemning type of way. I go to them hopefully in a restoring type of posture to see them to come back, to walk in the truth, to walk in the love of Christ. That's what God wants us to do. So first, let me say this. You and I need people in our lives that will speak truth to us. Hopefully, that's what the church is here for. It's what your Sunday school class is here for. What your Christian friends are here for. You need people, and I need people to speak truth to us. Because all of us, all of us can wonder if we're not careful. We need people that are willing to speak to us because they fear God more than they fear us. We need them to speak the truth to us. But let me say this to us. Those of us who have had the word spoken to us in that way, we need to be receptive. We need to know that people are coming in love to us. Not in a condemning way, as I mentioned, but in a restoring way to see us walk closer to him. It is important. Now, I will tell you, it is one of the most painful things that you will ever do to try to go to a brother or sister and help them see where they're walking away and lead them back to the, to the path that God has given them. It is painful. There have been occasions in my life where I felt like God had given me the responsibility to approach people about the sinful behavior and lifestyle that they were living. I don't know if I've told you this before, but I am not a confrontational person. The only people I'm good with confronting is Dwight Anderson and Bill Cox. That's the only two. I don't have a problem when it comes to those two. They know their sin. They know, you know. But it is so unlike me. It is so outside of my nature to just sit down with somebody to talk to them about their behavior and the path that they have chosen. And yet, I understand that it is my responsibility as a pastor. It is even more my responsibility as a Christian brother to sit down with individuals when they are wandering in the cosmos, when they're wandering through the difficult spiritual terrain and they have chosen wrongful paths, it is my responsibility to sit down in a spirit of love and compassion to see them come back and be restored to our people, but even more importantly, to Christ. 
I do not believe you can lose your salvation. I did not gain my salvation by works. I will not lose my salvation by the lack of work. I was saved by grace, and grace will always keep me. But there are times in my life where I have to come back to Christ, and I have to come back to the family of God and say, I'm sorry. Not in order to maintain my position of salvation, but to maintain my intimacy and fellowship with Him. And that is what we pray for one another. Again, if you go in a condemning way, I guarantee you will be rejected. If you go in a compassionate, constructive way, I'll tell you the truth. There's probably a 70% chance you'll still be rejected. But how about the 30% maybe that would listen? Hey, what if the one listens? The one. And that one repents of his or her sin and comes back to a relationship with Christ. Is it not worth it? I know it may be painful for you and it may be painful for me, but is it not worth the risk to see people restored in their faith and their relationship with Jesus Christ? Because James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know. Oh, that Greek word there is the word you can know by experience. Not just knowing the facts of the matter, but you would be able to know by experience that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If you can encourage them to get back on the path, if you can challenge them in their relationship with Christ, he said you can help bring salvation. Because what happens with sin? Sin brings death, right? The wages of sin itself is death. And even though you and I can be like spiritually positioned as the children of God, when we go out and we choose destructive patterns and behaviors of our life, then we bring death to everybody around us. We bring death to relationships. We bring death to our own lives. But if we can come back and see restoration then we once again can know what it's like to live. You can help somebody. You can't do it on your own, so don't lecture me afterwards. I know that. But you can help somebody experience resurrection in their lives. From being that prodigal who walked away to seeing that individual come back. And know what true life is. And how gracious is God that he will cover a multitude of sins. You know, I think of it often when Jesus died on the cross. He died for the sins of the world. The man who did not know deceit The man who had never experienced sin or unrighteousness, never personally, never never 
because of his own charge. He had seen what it could do. He had seen how it was attacking people. He knew what sin was in that way, but he did not know it by experience. And yet on the cross, he took my sin, which was heavy enough, but then he took your sin, and he took your sin, and he took the sins of individuals throughout the ages. And all of that was put on him. The physical suffering to me was nothing compared to the spiritual suffering, even of the taking of the sins of the world. And yet he loved us so much that he took those sins, that he covered them a multitude of sins. And what we know in reality as we come back to Him is that He is willing and able to forgive us of our sins. Isn't that what is so awesome about the great God we serve? Is no matter how far we've wandered, no no matter how far we've gone away from Him, He is still willing to receive us back. And He is still willing to cover our sins, to cover our failures, and to forgive us. Isn't it awesome when others can know that and God use us as His instruments in that process? James finishes his sermon, but I want to note this at the end. James has just given us an example of verse 19 and verse 20. The whole letter, this whole message was an example of going to your brothers and sisters and turning them back toward God and His truth. Everything that He said, everything that He's encouraged has been an example to us of what He just told us to do. He's written a letter all about, hey, come back. Don't allow anger to do this. Don't make sure you're speaking and ways that are wholesome and uplifting. Hey, make sure you're praying. He, he, he's telling them this. He's giving them the example. And now he says to them as he closes his message, my brothers, my sisters, get about the business. Help individuals know the truth. Help your family, your Christian family, your faith family, Help them embrace the truth so that they can know life and they know forgiveness. Get about the business. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. Grateful for these verses that remind us of the responsibility we have as believers. No person is an island. You didn't call us to be lone ranger Christians. You called us to live in the context of the family of God, the church. And Lord, there are many reasons the church exists. But no doubt one of the reasons is for us to encourage and challenge one another. Father, we pray right now. 
for some of our brothers and sisters that are struggling. There are some that are being drawn away from the truth, both doctrinally and practically. God, help us to turn them back to you. God, I pray, especially for this group of college students to be coming in in the next week or so. And God, they're going to get pulled in so many different directions. God, I pray for this campus that's, that sits just right here by us. I pray, Lord, that there would be those who would hold firm to true and sound doctrine and that they would seek you. And help us be people that can help them stay firm and help them turn to you when they've walked away. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we pray you'd speak to us through this commitment time, through this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?